Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. All right, let's go to Mark chapter 16. We're going to finish up our study of the Gospel of Mark today. Go to Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. And so here we have the Gospel of Mark concluding, uh, really with the same events that all of the Gospels conclude with and with the events that the book of Acts begins with, uh, which is the commissioning here uh, of the disciples and the Christ's ascension into heaven. All right, that's where we see all of the all of the gospels end. And so remember here when we're at the end of the Gospel of Mark, we're we're past the death and the burial and resurrection of Christ, and then here we see his ascension. You see in verse 19 it says, Then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Now, go back to Psalm 110. Christ sits there on the right hand of God in fulfillment of prophecy. Psalm 110, it's just a short psalm, only seven verses, and we can read the whole thing. Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. And you see that psalm begins with the Lord. You see the Lord is used there twice. Right, it says, the Lord said unto my Lord. Um, and the, the, the word Lord is used two times because it's two, it's actually two different Hebrew words there. Uh, you notice the first time it says, the Lord. Um, the word Lord is all in capital letters. And, uh, in most, in most Bibles, uh, when you're especially in the Old Testament and you have the word Lord all in capital letters, that is uh, being used to translate that name uh, of God in the Old Testament, Jehovah or Yahweh. 
Okay? And, uh, the, the, uh, printer does it that way, putting Lord all in capital letters so that you know that that is that specific name of God. But there's other Hebrew words as well that would translate as Lord, like, like the word, uh, Adonai would be, a a Hebrew word that also translates as Lord. And so here you have Jehovah God saying to the Adonai, to my Lord, He says, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And really what you have there is is you have, this would be one of those Old Testament passages that indicates that there is a a, uh, plurality within the Godhead. Right? There's only one Lord, but you see, there's obviously two, two actors there. There's someone speaking to someone else, and really what it is is it's God the Father, Jehovah God speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ, saying to Him, sit at my right hand. Okay? Now, the, the right hand is significant. Uh, the right hand is most people, you, most things you do, you do with your right hand. And the right hand is associated with strength. If you say that somebody is your right hand, uh, your right hand man, right? That, that means that's a, that's an important person that you rely on. Okay? And, uh, sitting at the right hand, uh, is often when the Bible talks about being seated somewhere or being sitting somewhere, it's, it's not necessarily talking about physically sitting down, although, you know, there, there may often be an element of that, but it's talking about being given a position. So this is this is the glorification of Christ. Um, realize Christ isn't glorified at his death. Certainly, that was an act of humility. Even in his resurrection, he's not he's not glorified. But when he ascends here to sit at the right hand of God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted. He's glorified. Keep a a mark there in Psalm one ten. Go over to the book of Philippians, chapter two. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, those few verses we just read take you from eternity past to eternity future. It says that that uh, Jesus Christ was in the form of God. That word form, uh, the Greek is enmorphe. It, it means the, the physical form of something as opposed to the, you know, the idea of it or, or even the spiritual aspect of it. Uh, it's talking about the physical form of something. And it says Jesus Christ was in the, the form of God. And it says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Um, it, it, for Jesus Christ to claim equality with God is not robbery. For you or I to claim equality with God would be robbery. We would be stealing something from God that's due only to Him. But for Jesus Christ, it was not robbery to be equal with God. That's Jesus Christ in eternity past, right? Uh, he's, he's with the Father. He's one with the Father. 
Okay? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. But verse 7 says that He made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And it says, being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so, the Lord Jesus Christ, in eternity past, He's, he's uh, in perfect unity with the Father. He's in equality with the Father. That's not, that's not something that's robbery. Uh, but you see, He made Himself of no reputation. He took upon Him, it, it says, the form of a servant. And, and understand that the Lord Jesus Christ, when He became a man, He did not give up His deity. He took a, something upon Him that was in addition to his deity. Okay? And there's nothing here that would indicate that he, that he gave up his deity. There's some people that might believe that, that, um, that, that when Jesus became a man, he ceased to be God. But that's not what the Bible teaches. He took upon him the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. And, and verse 8 talks about his death. That, that thing that is unique to man and and is not applicable to God. God is not mortal. God is not susceptible to death. But the Lord Jesus Christ in taking on the the uh likeness of men and being made in the likeness of men, he could be susceptible to death. It was important to the plan of God that that take place so that he could be a sacrifice. He could be identified with us and be the sacrifice in our place to satisfy the justice of God. And uh, so, so he's there obedient unto death. You think about that change, going from being equal with God to being subject even to God's own creation and to be put to death. Right? The Lord Jesus Christ suffers that, uh, that again, that event that is common to man. And uh, he becomes obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and in light of that, verse 9 says, wherefore. Wherefore means that the thing that he's going to say next follows from what he just said before. Because of Christ's obedience unto death, he could be exalted. It says, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. You know, there's, there's some people that... Uh, make a lot about the name Jehovah, right? And they want to emphasize that name Jehovah. And they say, you need to, you need to call God Jehovah um, and, and use that Old Testament name. But you know what? The Bible says there's a name that's above every name. If there's a, if there's a name that, that we ought to exalt and, and glorify, it ought to be the one that the Lord exalts and glorifies today, which is the name of Jesus. And whether you want to say that in kind of the anglicized form of, of Jesus or the Greek Yesu or the Hebrew Yeshua, it's the same name, right? And God is given a name that's above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And it says that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And realize that every knee will bow. Every knee doesn't bow today. Every tongue doesn't confess today. But every knee and every tongue will confess. Right? You can, you can uh, believe on Christ now and have eternal life and, and uh, bow your knee and, and confess with the tongue today. Or you can wait to stand before that throne of judgment 
and you'll still wind up bowing the knee and, and confessing with the mouth and then go into an eternity uh, in the lake of fire. Okay, But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And you see the position that's been granted to the Lord Jesus Christ who's been exalted and He's seated at the right hand of God. Go back to Psalm 110. The If you ever want to do an interesting study on your own, just take a, a concordance and do a study on the right hand. Um, there's a there's another passage in the Psalms where it describes God uh, looking looking out at the earth to find to find salvation and there's nobody and there's nobody to help and it says his own right arm brought salvation. That's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a reference to God looking at the the inability of man to to save himself or to or to please God and so God by his own power in the person of Jesus Christ by his right arm. Um, Bring salvation. Okay? And you'll find, um, very often, when it talks about the right hand of God, those passages apply directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what we're seeing here at the end of the Gospel of Mark is where the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted to that position of sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And again, Psalm 110, just verse 1 again. So there you have God the Father saying to the Lord Jesus Christ, Sit thou in my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now, that exaltation of Christ is not the, is not the, the completion of everything God's going to do. You see, the exaltation of Christ is to be followed by it would still be Jehovah God the Father speaking in the second half of the verse as He says to the Son, sit at My right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He's given the position, but then there's an until. There's a, there's a period of time after which His enemies are going to be brought into subjection to Him. That's the, the reference to the, to the footstool. To be under the feet of, of something would be to be in that place of, of subjection. And uh, you see it describes then uh, the Lord carrying that out and making those enemies to be Christ's footstool. You see verse 2 says, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength. And and uh, you see that's Jehovah God again there. Uh, it says, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Um Verse, verse 3 says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. Now when Christ came in His incarnation, His people were not willing. What does John say? He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But there's going to come a day where God's going to fulfill some things with the nation of Israel, and His people are going to be willing. Right? That's, that's the reference here is to Israel in the, in the context. Uh, his people are going to be willing in the day of His power. And that would be talking about His second coming. The day of His power. Um, it's not talking about His ascension. His people were still unwilling here when He's exalted. But at His second coming, uh, the, the prophets describe how that, that Israel will look on Him whom they have pierced and they'll mourn as, as one mourns for an only son. And there's going to come a day where those people that, that, you know, Israel as a nation that rejected the Lord in His incarnation in the day of His power, it says they're going to be willing. And, and you see verse 4, the Lord, Jehovah again, has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever 
after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we aren't going to look at it in detail, but in the book of Hebrews, there is a, an extended discussion, really, of this statement here about Christ being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And again, this is something that's associated with his, uh, his ascension, his exaltation. Alright? After going through that suffering of death and offering that sacrifice, Christ is given a, a priesthood that is not the priesthood of the law. It's not the priesthood of the Levitical priests. It's a, it's a priesthood, really, that Melchizedek would be a, a character that is mentioned back in um, the book of Genesis. Uh, with Abraham, and, and I'll tell you, I believe Melchizedek actually to be the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's a, it's a priesthood that predates the law, and it's a higher priesthood than that of the law. And the Lord Jesus Christ there is given that priesthood. He's, he's called a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Again, something you may want to study on your own. But verse 5, the Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of His wrath. See, the day of His power is also the day of His wrath. And there are going to be some kings that it says are going to be struck through. He'll judge among the heathen and He'll fill the places with the dead bodies. Um, some of these some of these passages almost seem morbid uh, in a way. You, know, you can imagine these, these places filled up with these dead bodies. It says He shall wound the heads over many countries. See, Christ has been exalted and given a position in heaven today. This is describing a time where He is going to take, take that power that He has and He's going to rule over the earth. And see, if he's going to rule, that means there's some people that are, that are setting themselves in opposition to his rule that are going to have to be put down. These heads over many countries, these leaders of, of the nations of this world that it says are going to be wounded. And so, uh, when Christ, when Christ sits there at the right hand of God, he is given a position, he's given a, a position of power, a position of exaltation in expectation of some future things where he's actually going to take that power to himself. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 will just kind of, kind of re- reiterate some of these things, this, this order that uh, is yet to come. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, of course, is the most extensive passage chapter in the Bible on resurrection, both the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of believers. And you see in verse 20 it says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, Afterward, they that are Christ at His coming, then cometh the end when He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for He must reign till He hath put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for He hath put all things under His feet. But when He saith all things are put under Him, it is manifest that He is accepted which did put all things under him. Now, what it's describing here, the language is maybe a little bit difficult there in verse 27. But God the Father, within that Godhead, you know, we talk about the, the equality of those members of the Godhead, the Father, Son, Spirit. But, but there is a hierarchy there in the Godhead. Okay? And, and you see God the Father, just like in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. It's God the Father that exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet even in eternity future, you see it says all things are put under Christ, but 
It says it's manifest that He is accepted which did put all things under Him. God the Father in eternity future still has preeminence over the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Everything else is put under Christ. God the Father, if God the Father is the one putting everything under Christ, it, it stands to reason that He would have to be the exception to that. He's not putting Himself under Christ. Uh, verse 28, when all things shall be subdued unto Him, then shall the Son also Himself be subject unto Him that put all things under Him, that God may be all in all. And, and so the Son in eternity future is still subject to God the Father. Now, if we go back then to our text in Mark, so when it says that Christ is, he, he ascends into heaven there and he sits at the right hand of the Father, he's given that position, but, but as we saw in Psalm 110, he said, sit thou at my right hand until I make Thine enemies thy footstool. And so Christ has, has been glorified. He's been, he's been exalted. Uh, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And yet, as we look at the world around us today, uh, we can certainly say that those things we see later in Psalm 110, those things we just read about in 1 Corinthians 15, have not yet taken place. Now, if, if you just had Bible prophecy, if you just had the Old Testament, uh, even if you if you just had the four gospels, okay, what you would expect to happen after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, after the ascension of Christ, the exaltation of Christ, you'd expect there to be you know some some short period of delay at least, but that in quick succession the rest of those events would take place, right? I mean, in Psalm 110, it just goes from one right into the other. Sit in my right hand till, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. And then it goes into talking about those enemies uh, being, being destroyed and Christ taking that power. And yet, here we are, uh, nearly 2,000 years after the ascension of Christ, the exaltation of Christ, and yet we don't see those things fulfilled yet. Now, what some people do to explain that is they say, well, it's all, it all just is spiritual. Right? That we're really in the kingdom right now. Uh, it's, it's all spiritual. Uh, all things have been, uh, put under Christ and, and He's actually reigning and has that power now. We just, we just don't see it. But you go back and read those passages and that's not what it's describing when it's talking about wounding the heads over many countries, when it's talking about filling up the places with the dead bodies. Right? That's not describing, uh, you know, just some general spiritual kingdom, that's describing Christ taking the reins of power and putting down everything that, that sets itself in opposition to Him. And again, we, we don't see that in our world now. And remember that, that when we're here in the Gospel of Mark, when we're back in Psalms, what you don't know yet, if you're, you know, if, if you're in the time when these things are being revealed or if you're just reading straight through the Bible, what you don't know yet is what later the Apostle Paul talks about is the mystery, that there would be a delay in the fulfillment of those things. And that's why we can be here you know, so many years after these events and we don't see them taking place. You can go over and read uh, on your own in Second Peter chapter 3 where Peter talks about people who scoff about these prophecies because they didn't, they didn't uh, come to pass. And, and he says, go read what Paul has to say. Right? He says, go read what he has to say. He writes about these things, and he says some of it's hard to understand, uh, but, but he refers you back to there. And so, when we're here at the end of the Gospel of Mark, again, we see verse 19, 
um, that, that Christ is received up into heaven. He sits on the right hand of God. And verse 20 says, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. And, and so they go out, these disciples are going out and they're preaching. And they're, they're preaching about that kingdom still at this point. Uh, they're preaching certainly about, about Christ. And, you know, you go and look at the, uh, you look at the, uh, preaching in the book of Acts. They're preaching about his, his, uh, death and, and the fact of his resurrection. In fact, go over to Acts chapter two. Uh, in fact, in Acts chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, Peter quotes from the passage we looked at in Psalm 110. Acts chapter two. Let's start in verse 29. Peter says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried in his sepulcher, is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. That throne of David is the, the throne, the, uh, again, not I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure in that kingdom there will be a physical throne, but when you talk about somebody sitting on the throne, you're talking about them having that position of power, right? And Christ is going to sit on that throne of David. Uh, he says that, that He would raise up Christ to sit on His throne. Now, again, when you get into Paul's epistles and the mystery, he doesn't talk about Christ being raised just to sit on David's throne. He talks about Christ being raised for some additional reasons. But here Peter says that Christ is raised to sit on David's throne to to um, establish that kingdom. All right, Verse 31, He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. There's the resurrection. And then verse 32, This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So here Peter says that Christ is raised from the dead to sit on David's throne. He reverses back to that passage about Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father. And if you were a, a Bible student in those days and you heard Peter refer to that passage, you would go back there to Psalm 110 and, and you would say, okay, uh, he says Christ is, is seated at the right hand of the Father. That passage says the next things that are to happen is he's gonna, he's gonna reestablish that kingdom. He's gonna throw down that authority and power. Right, and that's what they're they're preaching about, and that's what Peter's referring to when he says that Jesus, the one that was crucified, has been made Lord and Christ. And that's that's really where we end up in the Gospel of Mark. Okay? Now, when Christ ascends into heaven, understand, uh, you know, he commissions those disciples, but that those aren't the last things Christ ever said. Uh, you've got you've got a whole lot of Bible left where Christ then reveals some other things, again, about this delay, how those things are not going to come to pass immediately. And there's going to be this dispensation of grace that, that he calls a mystery that's going to intervene or, or, or uh, be, you know, take place in the meantime. Uh, have no doubt about it. Those things that the Bible says will be fulfilled with Israel and with that kingdom will take place. They're not taking place today, but they will take place 
when this dispensation is brought to a close. And Jesus has been made that Lord and Christ. The, the end of Mark there said they went everywhere. Christ told them to, to uh, go everywhere and preach. And so they go out in obedience to that. They go out everywhere. They preach. And the signs that He said would follow those that believe, you see it says that those signs were following them. We end there, again we end there in the Gospel of Mark, where we did in all of the all of the Gospels, if you read all the ends of the Gospels, and it's with Christ, not only risen, but ascended and exalted. Okay? And um, uh, remember that it's the Gospel of Mark that most presents Christ as a servant. Okay? Uh, the you know, you get those four gospels, Matthew presents him as a king. Mark presents kind of the opposite of that, presents him as, as a servant. And you know, what a contrast when you get there to that last verse, and the servant is a servant no longer. He's seated at the right hand of God. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.